change. We moved from our home at Edgebeston Cricket Ground to land here at the MAC a few weeks ago, which is where we're going to be for a little period of time. And the thing is, when you go through periods of change and transition, it can feel unsettling and it can be tempting just to kind of navel gaze a little bit, huddle down and think, let's just group in. But actually, we felt God really speak to us about the importance of this not being a moment to look in, but a moment to look up, understand who God is, and also to look out, understand where God has placed us, the city that he's called us to be a blessing to. And so that's what we've been doing. We've been in Jeremiah 29, which is a, a moment in the Bible where God speaks to his people during a time of great transition for them, where they've been uprooted and placed in a city that is not their own, Babylon, and God calls them to be a distinctive people in that city. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. What does it mean to be a distinctive people, the people of God? See, often when people are grouped together, there are certain distinctives by which we recognize who they are. For example, if I said to you, the Italians, you might think, ah, oh, pizza, pasta, penalties, passion. These are things that you might associate with Italians. If I was to say the Blaber family, well, we've got some distinctives too tell you about a cake. Cake comes up. Well, we do like cake, hence the growing waistline. Um, I think we probably have a distinctive scent. Um, do, you know, do, you, do you ever go into someone's house and you think, that's just the, the Hearst smell? It's not a bad thing. It's just a distinctive scent. Or do you ever perhaps, you know, if, some, if you do some washing for someone and the, wash, the clothes just stay in your house for a week, by the time it goes back to the person you've washed it for, it kind of smells of the place where it was, whatever that scent was. You know, Gus Rosen might walk past and I just think, yep, that's the rosier scent. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's just a distinctive thing. And I think the Blabers probably have a distinctive scent. We, we have, interestingly enough, a distinctive birthmark. So when I was born, I had a birthmark just across my nasal bridge there, and so have each of my girls. It's interesting. It's like, a, oh, yeah. Um, it fades over time, so you can't see it on any of us now, but it just helped me to know, yes, these are blabers. Come on, <laughs> distinctives. And also, one of the other distinctive things we have is that we sing a lot of silly songs in our household, particularly when it's time for something in particular. So, uh, I guess, for example, when it's breakfast time, the call is, who wants some brekker, de brekker, de deutsch, which is a little kind of play on brekker, sprecker, sprecker de deutsch, brekker de deutsch. So anyway... <laughs> It works in our family, and so that's what everyone calls it. So our girls, actually, if they've got someone coming around for breakfast, they say, do you want some Brecker de Deutsch? And they get looked at slightly weirdly. It's a Blaber distinctive. Um, what are the distinctives of the people of God? What does it look like when the people of God land in a place that's not their ultimate home? Because I guess what we see on the news is some people claiming this is what it looks like for the people of God to land somewhere that's not their own. Well, we're going to look at what it really looks like, what the Bible reveals that. What are the distinctives of the people of God? And we're going to do that by looking at Jeremiah 29, verse 4 to 7. It says this, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. 
pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Some of the distinctives of the people of God are this, that we are called to increase, not to decrease, and to prosper all of those that we find surround us, to prosper them, to be good news, to be a blessing to everyone who comes into contact with us. That's what it was right at the beginning when God said to Abraham, I'm going to call you to be a people that belongs to me, and through you, all the families of the world will be blessed. So we're going to look at this morning specifically, what does it mean to prosper somewhere? What does that mean? And I'm going to be doing that by looking at our distinctives under three headings. Firstly, the enjoyment of a distinctive security. Secondly, hearing a distinctive call. And thirdly, embracing distinctive living. And hopefully we'll get to the third bit. So firstly, enjoying a distinctive security. The people of God are distinctive in the security they get to enjoy. In Jeremiah 29.7, it says that God carried his people into exile. He carries us. This is a distinctive security for us to enjoy. We are not being tossed around by circumstances or by a man's decision. We're being carried by the living God. That's really good news. See, one interpretation that you could have is, we were told the cricket ground needed to do some building work, and we had to get out. Circumstances changed. And then we pushed some doors, and we thought we were going to land somewhere, kind of Great King Street, and then circumstances changed. And then we pushed various other doors to see where we're going to land, and the only door that opened up was the Mac, so this is where we are. And that would not be an accurate reading of the situation at all. Because in fact, what happened was, God carried us out of the cricket ground to place us here for a season. Why? Because this is the place that he wants to prosper. In this season, to have us around, that the people around us might benefit from the people of God being here. Those who enjoy communion with him and relationship with him. He is carrying us. This is good news for you in your life. Uh, if, if you have said, I'm giving my life to Jesus, I'm centering on him, then maybe right now it feels like there's a whirlwind of stuff going on in your circumstances, in your mind, in your, your situation, and it can feel like I'm being carried away by this. Can you know this this morning? You're being carried by God. He's carrying you. He loves you. Things aren't out of control. He is sovereign tells us in Acts 17, he determined the exact times and places where we should live so that we would seek him, reach out for him, perhaps find him, knowing this, he's not very far away from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. So whatever's going on in life at the moment, he is near you, and in him you live and move and have your being. He's carrying. This is good news. It also means that we get to live in the present more effectively. And it's so easy, isn't it, to live in the past, reminiscing about what used to be. You know, we used to be able to have tea and coffee both before and after the meeting. And now we can't. And you can live in the past, all oh, the good old days. Oh, you know, I, I was sharing this with Gus earlier. I'm quite good at making decisions. I'm not always very good at living with decisions. 
can live kind of my head somewhere in the past a lot of the time. Knowing that God's carrying us enables us to enjoy the present, to rest in the present. Also, not to live with our mind always in the future. What's the next thing? What's the next decision? Where are we going to be next? You know, we get to live in the present, enjoying this day. This is a day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Not wish it away, looking forward to the next thing. Not reminiscing about the last thing. And all the time, missing what's right here, right now. Goodness of God is carrying us. This is good news. And secondly, our distinctive security for us to enjoy is that we are his people. We are his people. Tenderly, tenderly, he cares for us. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. We've been celebrating that in our worship this morning. That Jesus, you, he became sin who knew no sin so that you might become his righteousness. That Jesus went to the cross for us, the son of the most high God, shed his blood for us. That by seeing him and putting our trust in him and saying, yes, I want only you, nothing else. We might become his people and enjoy the security of belonging to God of knowing we are his. We have become part of the family of God. See what kind of love the Father has lavished upon us, 1 John 3, 1, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Get to share in the sonship of Christ. We belong to him, and he is generous towards us. This is good news. In in John's gospel, chapter 1, verse 16, it says, from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. That's what we're called to be as a distinctive security for us to enjoy. That Jesus has fullness of love, fullness of peace, fullness of joy, fullness of righteousness, fullness of comfort, fullness of life. And from his fullness, we receive gift after gift, grace after grace. And so our invitation is to keep up that posture of receiving from him, of his fullness. It's not a once in a moment transaction, that's it. No, it's a constant dependency upon him. I need your grace, I need your mercy, I need your comfort, I need your wisdom, I need you, Jesus. I know for me, for one, I need to keep adopting that posture. I just need him, I can't do it by myself. As soon as I try, it all goes peak tom. I need him, I need him. I'm a man who likes my food. Really love food, as has already been illustrated by the cake comment. Um, and I don't really like sharing food. You know, there's been one or two occasions when I'm like, oh, I'll have a plate of chips, and Becca might say, I don't really want a plate of chips, but as soon as I've got a plate of chips, um, she wants some. Um, the truth is, though, I'm never more generous than when I've got a lot of food on my plate. At that moment, the chips are up there. Yeah, of course you can have a chip. <laughs> of course you can. Similarly, the call of God to work for the prosperity and the welfare of those around us can only be a call that's enjoyed and not a burden to the extent that we're receiving grace upon grace, having a full plate, because it all comes from him. So we need to keep enjoying that distinctive security, knowing that as 2 Corinthians one twenty tells us, All God's promises find their yes in Jesus. And so we lean upon him and we depend upon him. Firstly, the people of God are called to enjoy distinctive security. Secondly, we're called to 
hear a distinctive call. We are called, Jeremiah 29, 7, to seek the peace and the prosperity of the city that God has carried us into. To seek to be good news. God says, I've carried you there. I know the plans I have for you. Just a bit later in that prophecy from, from Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to hurt you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That is a prophecy that's best applied to the people of God, plural, to the church. He knows the plans he has for us. He's carried us to the place where those plans are going to be outworked. Now hear his call to be a distinctive blessing, to work for the prosperity of that place. So what do we mean then by prosperity? Well, let me just say two things we don't mean. We don't mean, it doesn't mean, exploiting the city to get something for yourself. It's not working all the loopholes out, working the system in order that at its expense, we might benefit. There is a promise in here that says, as the city prospers, you too will prosper. That's not something to gloss over. That's a great promise. But it is precisely in that order that we work for the prosperity of the city and as a result, we prosper as a result of it because we get to see God's kingdom come and that prospers everyone. So we work for the prosperity of the city that, that we find ourselves in. We don't exploit it. And number two, this is not talking about money alone. When we think of prosperity, we think cash. But that's not really what's being spoken of here. Um, this isn't about prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is the lie that if you put your trust in Jesus, you're going to be really wealthy and everything's going to go your way. You're not going to have any difficulty in life. Um, whereas Jesus said that your troubles will multiply. <laughs> and actually Jesus said, having a lot of money is a dangerous thing. Harder is it for a rich man to enter in the kingdom of God than for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. He then goes on to say, with God, all things are possible. So we don't, we're not afraid of riches, but we're very quick to release them to God because they belong to him. And so it's not exploiting the city for personal gain. It's not all about money. This is, in the ESV, the word prosperity is translated welfare. It comes from the Hebrew root word shalom. We're called to seek the welfare of the city, the welfare of the surroundings that we find ourselves in, the peace, the wholeness of it. Seek to make it a great place to live. Um, Abby King wrote a blog um, this weekend that I read yesterday. It was just brilliant. Um, all about how we get to, as the people of God, work for the flourishing of our fellow human beings by receiving of all of his goodness to us. Essentially, it was kind of my first point, but much neater. Um, as we receive of his fullness, we get to work for the welfare of those around us. What does that mean? It means make this place a great place to live. Make Birmingham the best place to live. Make it somewhere where human beings flourish, where community flourishes. How do we do that? Well, we do that in at least two ways. Firstly, by celebrating that which is good. And secondly by addressing and illuminating that which is bad. Let me tell you a few things about Birmingham. Birmingham is a great city to live in. It really is. Looked at some facts about Birmingham this week. Some of them surprised me, so let me share some of them with you. Did you know that Birmingham attracts 34 million visitors a year? Almost one million of those are international visitors. 
We are a very multicultural city. There's all sorts of ethnicities and background. Praise God. It's great. It's great. You get to hear different sounds and see different sights and enjoy different tastes, precisely because we're not all the same. This is good. We're one of the youngest cities in Europe, with almost 40% of the population being under the age of 25. And there are five universities and over 73,000 students. We love students in Oasis. Just want more to come amongst us, to feel home, to have more testimonies like what's been shared today. Do you know that 90% of the UK is within four hours' travel of Birmingham? That's great. Spaghetti Junction's a wonder. It's really good. You can get anywhere from it. Did you know that Birmingham has more canals than Venice? It's got slightly more trolleys than gondolas in those canals. But nonetheless, it has something like 56 kilometres of waterways. Birmingham is also affectionately known as one of the UK's greenest cities, with over 8,000 acres and 600 parks and open spaces. That's more than Paris. Tell you a quick story about that. Just a, when, when Chloe was four years old, I took her to one of those parks and we were enjoying the greenery of Birmingham, just lapping up the fact we live in a great city. And it was kind of a, a moment of, wow, look at all that God's made. Let's go to this pond, Chloe. Can you see any fish in the pond? And Chloe said, No, but I can see a naan bread. <laughs> and sure enough, there was a naan bread floating there in the water. One of the many reasons why I love Birmingham. <laughs> Yes, it's green, but there's still none. Um, The city hosts over 50,000 festivals each year. Sorry, over 50, not 50,000, over 50 (laughs) festivals each year, including the Mosley Folk Festival, the Flat Pack Film Festival, Fierce Art Festival, and the massive Birmingham International Jazz Festival. It's great. Um, A blog called Culture Trip recently listed some of the best up-and-coming music artists from Birmingham, UK. Do you know who was top of the list? Ed Geeter. So that's really great, because some of you won't know that we as a church host a, a gig um, a couple of times, about three times a year, as well as residency projects to promote local music, to make much of the musicians within Birmingham. And on Friday, just gone, Ed Geeter was the headliner. In fact, as I looked through the blog, three of the acts which are listed are people who we've either just recently had or about to have featuring impact. This is good. This is prospering the city. Um, Did you know that uh, Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery has the world's largest collection of pre-Raphaelite paintings? Some of you did. Um, Birmingham is the home of J.R.R. Tolkien, writer of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. This one surprised me. Did you know that the Birmingham Jewelry Quarter produces 40% of all jewellery produced in the UK? It also has the highest concentration of jewellery businesses in Europe. Birmingham has five Michelin-starred restaurants, which is more than any other UK city outside of London. It also has a fantastic street food scene, and the Olive magazine recently voted Birmingham as Britain's foodiest city. Birmingham is also a major sporting city with two... Big football clubs, discuss. Um, (laughs) And athletics and tennis. It's a great place to live. Part of working for the prosperity of the city is making much of that, which is really, really good. Celebrating it, enjoying it. It says in in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights who does not change, like shifting shadows, that's good news. And so you can go and enjoy a curry 
and it's all worship to God because it's a good thing that's come from him. And it is prospering the city, so just do it. <laughs> seeking the welfare of the city means promoting it, but seeking the welfare of the city also means having eyes open to those things about the city which are not good. Not hiding our face from that which is just heartbreaking. I'll just read you a few facts. Poverty is a real big problem in Birmingham. According to an independent Birmingham Child Poverty Commission that was set up by the City Council in 2016, 37% of children in Birmingham are in poverty. 37%. There's low wages problem in Birmingham. One in five workers in Birmingham earn under the living wage. Over 8,000 families are living in overcrowded conditions and are registered as doing so. Trafficking is a problem within Birmingham. Um, Birmingham Mail reports that between January and March 2016, 90 people were referred to the National Human Trafficking Centre because they'd been forced to labour or prostitution or servitude. In fact, there's a Christian charity called Hope for Justice, which I know a number of people in our congregation work with, and they, in 2015, by October, had already rescued 82 people from trafficking in the West Midlands. And they say it's just the tip of the iceberg. It's a big problem. It's a big problem. Those are just three things. We must not turn our way. It's not a case of we take a rough with the smooth. It's that we, we, we're aware of the problems of our city, the great things, the problems, and we say, God, would you break out? And God, help us to know what our part is to play in that. That's what we seek to do. And so that's why it is not a side note that we do things like food bank. It's why it's not a side note that we run the bridge project. It's why it's not a side note that we do Monday night football in order to create community to people who often haven't got much community. It's why impact is not a side note. None of these things are peripheral. Loving the city when we go out there. It's not peripheral to who we are. It's central to who we are because it's about bringing the kingdom of God to the city which he has carried us into. 1 John 3.18 says, Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So it doesn't mean that we don't speak of Jesus. That's not what John's saying there. It means that the gospel that we present will only come with integrity if people see the difference it makes practically. And so we're those who love with deed and who proclaim Jesus within that context. And Birmingham has a great legacy of doing just that. So I just want to show you a video for just a few minutes now. We believe that the God who created the universe loves and cares deeply about people, cultures and cities. God loves and cares for, for Birmingham and every one of its citizens to the extent that for hundreds of years, through Brummies and adoptive Brummies like me, he has been working out his purposes in this city. So let's look at some of this legacy of faith, hope and charity. This year we celebrate the 300th anniversary of our cathedral. 30 years after it opened, John Wesley paid his first visit to Birmingham. Such a congregation I never saw before and seldom have I known so deep and solemn a sense of the power and presence and love of God. The church's message of forgiveness, hope and reconciliation was not just something that was preached about, 
but it was lived out in everyday life and action. One of our city's most famous sons, George Cadbury, said, We can do nothing of any value to God except in acts of genuine helpfulness done to our fellow men. In the 1890s, he brought together over 150 church leaders to develop a program of prayer, social action and evangelism. And together they pioneered a global prayer movement. Every year he entertained and fed 25,000 children from the poorer parts of the city. And such was his standing, it was reported that over 10,000 Brummies attended his funeral. The International Convention Centre stands on the site of the old Bingley Hall, where exhibitions and shows and even a cattle market took place. But something very different and amazing also happened in the Bingley Hall that's changed many thousands of lives. It is reported that folk would queue for hours to see and hear world-famous preachers invited by local church leaders to share the good news of Jesus. My father was involved in the George Jeffreys meetings and he would recount to us the transformation that took place in people's lives night after night. They saw the lame walk, drunks becoming sober, families reconciled and criminals turning their lives around. He'd talk about carts being hired to take away crutches and wheelchairs that were no longer needed. As thousands every night left the hall, the trams and buses would be filled with the sound of hymns being sung. Although this amazing spiritual legacy might be somewhat intimidating, that passion to preach and live out the good news is as strong as ever. Whether it's feeding the homeless, loving the lonely, giving advice and support to those in debt, helping ex-prisoners find jobs, or bringing reconciliation into fractured communities, a new generation of Christians are seeking to humbly walk in Jesus' footsteps and help bring something of the Kingdom of God to Birmingham. We love this city with its rich mix of people, its innovation and its creativity. We pray that it will continue to be a welcoming, generous, compassionate city with a thankfulness to God for its past and a sure hope for its future. Sounds good, doesn't it? Good to be part of it. Good to be carried here. Going to just finish with very quick comment on distinctive living. Um, how does this get played out practically? Just two, two quick ways. One, when we're gathered and when we're scattered. When we're gathered, we're called to increase, not decrease. That means our time here at the MAC is not a time for us to decrease, but to increase in many ways. In part, that's about, about people. Let's invite people in. We've got surrounded by loads of people. Let's invite them in to hear something of the good news of Jesus, that we might increase, not decrease. But it's also about the fruit of the Spirit that we show. This is not a time for us to decrease in our joy or our peace or our love or our kindness or our gentleness or our self-control. This is not a time for us to say it's not as comfortable as it was, so I'm decreasing in those things that make us distinctive, but a time rather to increase in all of those that people might see there's something different about this group of people. There's a distinctive about them. And that is not a 
rebuke or something for us to work up because that won't produce any good fruit at all. It's rather a call to stay rooted in Jesus, enjoying grace upon grace upon grace together. It's what it looks like when we're gathered in all the different contexts. And in terms of when we're scattered, it's about being salt and light. Jesus says in Matthew 5, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And salt and light exert their effect precisely in being spread out. Salt spread out to bring out flavor and to chase away decay. Light spreads out to bring out color, chase away darkness. And so as we are spread to our different locations and our different activities, it's an opportunity for Christ in us, the hope of glory, to be seen and tasted by other people. Again, it's not a call to work hard, it's a call to enjoy Jesus, rest in him, and take that to your everyday activity. And if you're a gardener, just be the best gardener you can be. And people will know something of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And if you're a doctor, be the best doctor you can be. And people know something distinctive about you. I can't tell you how many times people have said, when I told them I'm a Christian, oh, we knew you were a Christian. Just something we just knew. I think, that's Christ. It's not me, it's Christ. It's true for all of us. It's not something just for a few. It's as we enjoy him, as we're, as we're scattered out, he gets seen and he gets known and the kingdom of God comes in the ordinary everyday activities of life. That's what we're called to. That's prospering this city which he's carried us to. I'm going to pray and we'll finish. Okay. Jesus, we look to you again. We thank you, Jesus, for your grace upon us. We thank you that you offer us grace upon grace upon grace And we just confess that we're so prone to not receiving all that you have for us, to somehow trying to exist on our own reserves, curving inwards. And we repent of that and say, Lord, we just want to receive your grace upon grace upon grace from all your fullness in order that we may be precisely the distinctive people that you've called us to be, spreading out and gathered in the name of Jesus to prosper this place that you've carried us to. So I pray would you anoint us to do that. Would you give us faith, innovation, creativity, joy as we do that. Would you help us to stay together, loving one another, serving one another, and together loving those around us. We ask that in your name. We love you. Thank you that you have such kindness and compassion towards us. Thank you you come, Lord, not with harshness, but with mercy and with grace and with kindness and an adventure for us to go on. Thank you for the history, the legacy that we stand on. And thank you it's for us to now build on that, not be in any way intimidated by it. So Lord, we love you and we worship you. Pray would you be with us this week. Pray your will be done in the election and we pray that your name would be glorified. Amen.